Hey folks, just a couple of quick notes before we get this episode started. First of all, I want to apologize that this episode is a day late, but as I've said often before, life enjoys smacking you to the ground when you have made other plans. And so that's why this episode is coming out on Wednesday instead of Tuesday. I also wanted to mention that this episode should have been the one in which I and Harold Jennett talk about the last three episodes of season one of What If, but again, life has just been slapping us around and we were not able to get together this past weekend. And I'm hoping that we will be able to get together this next weekend and that you can have our What If episode next week. Beyond that, I have a new patron that I want to give a shout out to. Heyo Gert, thank you so much for your support. Always appreciated. And I don't know that I could say thank you enough for deciding to join up. If anybody else wants to join, patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or beyond that, I am talking about the TV show Deadwood in this episode. Please keep in mind, if you have not seen the show yet, even though Just Another Fanboy is an all-ages podcast, Deadwood is not an all-ages show. It is TV mature, and it's full of cussing, and there's nudity in it, so please be aware of that. I think I do a pretty good job throughout this episode keeping the topic family-friendly, but the show Deadwood is not, so keep that in mind if you decide to watch it. Also be aware that I will be spoiling certain things from some of the episodes in this podcast episode, so if you're wanting to rush out and watch the show just in case before, I don't know, I'm just letting you know, spoilers ahoy. All right, that's it. Let me play just a little bit of music here, and then we'll get started with the episode proper. Here we go! I feel 100% confident saying that if we took Larry McMurtry, Quentin Tarantino, and William Shakespeare put them in a room together, and asked of them to create for us a television show, we would get Deadwood. 100% confident saying that. 100%. Unless, of course, you disagree, then I suppose we could talk about it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Steven, and this is episode number 212. Ba-boom! Not sure why I'm making such a big deal out of that particular number, out of all the milestones I've hit. 212 has always been the one to aim for, apparently. I don't know. So, hey, I just finished watching Deadwood on HBO Max, the TV show. I haven't watched the movie yet. I'm going to do that later, but I wanted to go ahead and sit down and talk to you, or in this case, at you, about my thoughts regarding Deadwood, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Now, if you're not aware, Deadwood is a television series that aired on HBO from March 21st, 2004 to August 27th, 2006. It had three seasons, 36 episodes, and was actually canceled before they could really wrap anything up. And yet I still rather enjoyed the show. It boasts a number of great cast members, Timothy Oliphant, Ian McShane, Molly Parker, Brad Dorif, 
W. Earl Brown, John Hawks, who he plays Saul Star. And at first I'm like, who is this guy? Why, why do I recognize him? What do I, what do I remember him from? He was on a couple of episodes of the television show Wings. He played a waiter in a restaurant called the Crab Shack. And he served Helen, if you remember, if you ever watched the show, Helen was the one who ran, she ran the lunch counter in the airport. He served her, her crabs one night and just fell in love with her. And he spends an episode hanging out at the airport because he's just in love with her. And he keeps saying, I'm the one that served you crabs. And it was such a, he's so funny in it. It sounds like it's a, it's a tasteless joke, but it was, it was so funny the way he delivered it. Anyway, you've got Leon Rippey. You've got William Sanderson. If you don't know who this guy is, for my contemporaries, if you ever watched Newhart, that is Larry. Remember Larry and his brother Daryl and his other brother Daryl? William Sanderson was Larry, and he is so good in this show. You've also got folks like Titus Welliver, Kim Dickens from Fear the Walking Dead, Jim the Legend Beaver, and Powers Booth. There are a lot of people in this show. And some of them, from what I understand, really kind of made their name off of this show, which I think is amazing. This is a show that when it was on HBO, I didn't have HBO when this was airing. It's a Western, if you're not aware, set in the town of Deadwood, South Dakota, uh, before it officially, before South Dakota is officially a state. I think it's a territory, the Dakota Territory at the time. Deadwood, when the show starts, they refer to it throughout all three seasons as a camp. It's not officially a town. It's a camp. And it's a mining camp. It was set up because of the the gold found in the Black Hills, which has a very, what's the word I'm looking for? Dark story behind it. It's a very, very, one of the many dark moments of our past involved finding the gold in the Black Hills of South Dakota and the forced relocation of the Native Americans that we had promised that land until, oh no, we found gold on it. Get them out of there because that's what the white man does. We don't care about anybody else. I do. I'm just talking about white people in general that are <laughs> that are not like me. I, I would never force somebody off their land for gold. I can barely talk down the pizza delivery guy when he gets my order wrong. I'm not going to forcibly relocate anybody because I wouldn't want to. That's not the point I'm trying to make here, folks. What I'm trying to say is it was one of the many very dark periods in our history. They don't go into that at all in this show. This is more about the the camp itself and the way they're trying to 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 become a, a an official part of the Dakota territory. They want to be uh, part of the county and they're, they're it's just it's just this whole story about it's got politics and uh, trying to run this camp or this town. it's they call it a camp. it's a little town. And uh, you've got these various um, like lead uh, what, what what are the word like uh, I don't want to use the term pillars of the community. But kind of the, uh, I mean, I guess pillars, but not in the way that you would think of them fondly. You've got guys like Al Swearingen, played by Ian McShane, who runs the Gem Theater. And he, he, uh, 
he's not a good guy. A lot of these people are not good people. About the all, there, there are a few who are. Uh, Timothy Oliphant plays Seth Bullock and his partner Saul Star, played by John Hawks. They uh, they come into Deadwood from the Montana tor- territory to set up a hardware store. Um, we also find Wild Bill Hickok with his partner uh, Charlie Utter and Calamity Jane. They arrive at the same time. There, the three of them are together. And and uh, famously, if you're not aware, William Hickok was shot to death in Deadwood, shot in the back by a man named Jack McCall. We see that happen in the show. There are some historical accuracies within the show, but after doing a lot of research, there is quite a bit that is not at all historically accurate. A lot of these people were real people. Seth Bullock, Saul Starr, Al Swearingen. These were all real people, but the the way their life actually unfolded is not as it is in the show. The the show is 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 a fictional tale. It's a fictional retelling of of Deadwood. There are characters such as Alma Garrett, played by Molly Parker, who when we first meet her in the show, she is she's married and I can't remember her husband's name, but he is played by the good Lord. What is his name? Timothy Obmanson. I I always mispronounce his last name. Carlton Lasseter from Psych. He dies at one point in the in the first season um, after having found a just a rich gold deposit on the claim that he bought from Al Swearingen using um, William Sanderson's character, E.B. Farnham, as kind of a go-between. And they they basically cheated him. They thought that they were selling him a spent claim. There was no gold on it at all. Turned out there was a crap ton of gold on it, and she becomes incredibly wealthy. But the character of E.B. Farnham... He, he again, was an actual person, but the way he's played by William Sanderson in this show, I don't know if the dude won any Emmys for his role as E.B. Farnham, but he should have because he is so, I mean, everybody in this show is good, but he is almost unbelievably good. The same with Jim Beaver. The first time you meet Jim Beaver in this show, it's like, he's a guy that I was first introduced to from Supernatural playing a character by the name of Bobby Singer, who uh, you just fall in love with that character. And in this show, he's playing a dude named Ellsworth, who you just fall in love with eventually, this guy. And both Ellsworth and frickin' Bobby Singer uh, have the same fate. I'll just I'll just say that. I do want to take a moment real quick to just talk about a, a couple. If I'm going to say anything negative about this show, it's the fact that set in the time that it is set in, uh, there is just this casual racism uh, permeated throughout the entire show. Uh, even those folks that will stand there and say that everybody should be equal and you should not treat one person better than another and blah, blah, blah. They're still very racist. It's just, I guess you just call it an accurate depiction of the time, but it made me uncomfortable at times. Just how casually certain words were just thrown around that how easily the N word just came out of everybody's mouths. Uh, it just, it, it made me uncomfortable. And the one thing that I, I got from this show is that this is ultimately, it's a show about the white man making his place in America as the God's intended 
ruler of this land, regardless of who was here first, regardless of who they have to use to build what they need to build to make this country what it is in the, and I think some of the characters even say it at at some point that this is the white man's destiny to, to be rich, to be above any other race and sex really, because it's the white man. And I got that quite a bit from this show. And it makes me wonder if some of the folks that really love this show might be Trump supporters, you know, people that are just like, that's the way, that's the way it should be. The white man at the top and everybody else down below him. And, and, uh, that's, that's what, that's what I like about this show. And, and, uh, to me, I don't look at that in this show as something to celebrate. It's something to be ashamed and embarrassed of. That's, that's how I took it from this show. And I think others who feel themselves inclined toward that mindset may, you know, look at it uh, as a celebration of the way life should be, just not in such squalor. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I'm going to say about that. That was my one moment of political social thought. I don't do that a lot on the show. And frankly, if you disagree with me, just stop listening. I don't, I don't, I don't need you listening to my show. Anyway, another thing that I really enjoyed about this show was the language. And I don't mean the vulgarity. And it was very vulgar. I mean, every other word out of most of these characters' mouth was a curse word of some sort. And based on some of the research I did, uh, while historians uh, as a collective do all agree that, sure, people did curse back then, I think as a collective, they all also agree that maybe they didn't all curse as much as they do on this show because it is just it's all over the place and i should i probably should have said from the outset that if if you know nothing of this show and uh and when i say this show i mean deadwood um it's not for children okay just another fanboy the podcast you're listening to is an all ages show deadwood the tv show i'm talking about is not at all an all ages show it is on hbo max it is rated mature ma for mature there is a lot of nudity in it there is a lot of sexual situations in it and there is more cussing than you can uh ever imagine i mean there's a certain word that they use a certain descriptive word a a name that they all refer each other to they call everybody this word everybody pretty much everybody says it except for like uh, Alma Garrett, who's she's a she's a, a a lady. She's a lady in society, so she doesn't say words like that. But if you've watched the show, you know the word I'm talking about because it's probably the one curse word other than the f word that they say more often than any other word in this show. And I've probably heard it on this show more than I have heard it in my actual life. <laughs> That's how often it's said on this show. There are barely moments where there is no cursing going on. But when I'm speaking about the language, I'm talking more about the flow, the way it was written, the the the, the conversational tone, the way they talk to each other. I wasn't making a jest at the beginning of this episode when I said this show feels like something that was created if Larry McMurtry, who wrote Lonesome Dove, um, Quentin Tarantino, and William Shakespeare got together to make a Western, this is what you would get because the, the dialogue feels very Shakespearean. And 
By that, I mean there's kind of a poetic flow to the way they talk to each other. And they also use just really big words. From what I understand, reading more about this show, it was incredibly popular in the first season. And then viewership dropped like a big drop by season two. The average viewer thought that the show for a Western was kind of weird. And just watching it, it's not weird. There aren't weird situations but it's the way they talk to each other. It can be very difficult to follow along if you're not really paying attention. Because again, they use a lot of big words and they say them fast. And it reminds me a lot of reading Shakespeare in high school. Now, I haven't really done a lot of Shakespeare reading in my, in my, in my, in my, in my, wicket, wicket, in my, wicket, in my, wicket, wicket, in my, you know, pastime. I'm not a, I'm a fan of Shakespeare, I'll say that, but I'm not a Shakespearean scholar by any account. I do have a book containing all of Shakespeare's works, and I've perused it every now and then, but really my biggest experience reading Shakespeare were the plays that we were required to read each of my years in high school. I think as as a, a ninth grader, we read Romeo and Juliet, um, or it could have been uh, Julius Caesar. I don't remember the four plays that I, I remember Julius Caesar, uh, Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth and Hamlet. Those are the four plays that we read. I don't, I've never taken it upon myself to just read anything else from Shakespeare, even though I got the big book. But one of the things I enjoyed about reading Shakespeare in class was reading a passage and then while it didn't dawn on me immediately, I had to put some thought into it understanding what it meant. You know, for some people, for a lot of people, reading Shakespeare is like reading another language. And that's just because he uses different words that uh, that that all mean the same thing, but they're not the common words of today that we, or, or, or common turn of phrase that we would use today to describe certain things or, or to, to say things to other people in, in, in conversation and whatnot. And so, when you're reading Shakespeare or you're watching Shakespeare, you have to think about that and you have to interpret what they're saying. And and once you do, it's like most of the people there, there were a few of us that got it and enjoyed it, but most of the people in class just didn't. They didn't enjoy it. It was the worst part of their high school career was reading Shakespeare and they hated it. And uh, I rather enjoyed it. And I think it was because I was able to figure out the meaning. And it's like solving a puzzle to a certain extent. And that's, I felt like that watching Deadwood. And it actually didn't hit me until uh, the character of E.B. Farnham, for example. There are moments in that show where he is, he's kind of like Al Swearingen's lackey. He owns the hotel in town, but he's like, he, he is, he's the lackey of Al Swearingen. Al Swearingen, you could consider the mob boss E.B. Farnham is one of his toadies. And there is a moment where Al, uh, where, where Swearingen has E.B. doing something and E.B. leaves and he's walking through the streets of Deadwood or, or the thoroughfare, as they call it, because it's, like I said, it's a camp. It's one street. And uh, he's complaining out loud. He's like, he's basically, instead of getting an inner dialogue of what he perceives uh, in regard to what Swearingen wants him to do and that what that means for EB and uh, how he is going to come out 
uh, not ahead of the game and, and the way he's being treated. Instead of getting an inner dialogue, he's saying it all out loud. And he's saying it in such a way that it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, this is like a freaking Shakespearean soliloquy where you have the, the character on stage speaking to the audience. And that's where you kind of get their inner dialogue in the play. And that's, that happened a number of times in this show. Now, there were only a few times where the, where the character was actually talking just to themselves, just talking out loud. Other times they, they tried to, to put certain situations in the room or in the scene to make it, I don't know, to justify the fact that this person was giving this big flowery speech, you know, and like, for example, Swearingen had a head in a box in his office. And I'm, I'm not going to get into the story of that, but he would often talk to it as if it was a person there in the room with him. And that's how I felt the writers dealt with. This is how we can make Swearingen soliloquize. There were also moments when he would talk to one of the prostitutes who was in the room doing something to him. And I felt, again, this was the writers thinking, okay, we need him to give a big speech. You know, we need to know his thoughts. We need to understand what's going on, what his what his thinking is about this problem that's at hand. So he needs to explain it out loud. And so he's just going to use this woman that's in his room. He's just going to talk to her he, or he's going to talk at her because he's not in any way asking for her advice. He's not in any way bouncing ideas off of her. She's just literally there to service him and for him to talk at. And they do that a number of times. There, there's a moment where uh, Alma Garrett is in a room with this uh, little girl that has become her ward and she's brushing the girl's hair and she's just, she's giving a speech. She's, she's uh, giving her thoughts about a problem that's at hand. And it's not something you would talk to a child about. It's not something that you would seek the advice of a child about. And it's, she's just basically there to allow her to, to perform this soliloquy without it looking as if she's come to the edge of the stage and is speaking out to the audience, you know, because they were very obvious if you ever went to see a, a Shakespearean play, which we, we did a couple of times in high school. But I was then quite, quite amazed when I went out to do some research on the show and found out that, you know, other people were also using the name Shakespeare in, in regard to this show. And it's some folks think that that's maybe one of the reasons why the audience dropped off between seasons one and two is because they couldn't follow the dialogue. Because again, a lot of big words, a lot of big words that, that nobody really uses anymore. And again, turns of phrase that nobody uses anymore. And maybe they didn't did talk like that back then. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. Probably not. I think it was more of an artistic choice uh, to use this uh, poetic way of speaking. But I think it turned a lot of average people off who were just um, looking for a good Western and it is a pretty good Western, but it's not your typical Western. Now, again, I, I got done with season three and then found out I knew there were only three seasons and I thought that was kind of odd. And the way that season three ended, while it didn't end on a cliffhanger, it wasn't a uniquely satisfying ending. I can totally see a, a, a television series ending that way as, as an artistic choice to just kind of, cause because it doesn't really end. And really, it's it's almost you can look at that ending as if they're saying, well, life in Deadwood at this point didn't end. 
And so the show doesn't necessarily end. But come to find out, the show was canceled due to uh, money. And, you know, the, the people in, in the background, the, the studios that were involved and how the money changed hands to get the show made. Because apparently it was a very, very expensive show to make. And uh, yeah, the the people who the various studios who had to come together to make the show just couldn't come to an agreement for season four and season four didn't happen. We did 10 years later or so. I think it came out in 2019. Uh, get a Deadwood movie that's on HBO Max that, again, I haven't watched, but I'll watch that later. Uh, and maybe I'll talk about it. Maybe I won't. But all in all, I was really happy with Deadwood. I, I had I had finished watching Game of Thrones and I wanted something else to watch. And I've gotten to this point. I've said it many times that when it comes to shows that are not family friendly, I can't watch a lot of them because the main TV we have is... Is, you know, we live in a small house and the the kids hang out in the same room as I do. And so if I want to watch a show that has adult situations, I got to wait till they're in bed. And they've reached an age now where they tend to go to bed later than I do. Of course, that means nowadays that I get up earlier than them on the weekends. And now that I'm working from home, I can spend my lunch hour watching an episode while they're at school. And I think that's, you know, that's I'm taking advantage of that. So I did that for a number of weeks watching Game of Thrones. And then once Game of Thrones was done, I'm like, okay, what am I going to watch next? And I specifically wanted to find a movie or, or a TV show. Why did I say movie? I don't know. It ain't new. I specifically wanted to find a movie that I would have to wait until the kids were not in the room to watch. And it's not that a lot of this language or situation, you know, the kids, my kids at this point are probably old enough. They've run across these, these words and this language and these situations, just being at school, they've heard other people t- talking like this. And I'm sure they've used a lot of this language themselves, themselves. Is that right? Sometimes I talk fast and I think fast and I don't know what I'm saying, but, uh, it doesn't mean I'm comfortable sitting in the same room with them while it's going on. So when Game of Thrones ended, I realized, oh, I could start watching Deadwood. And so now that Deadwood is is over, once I'm done watching the movie, now I got to think of what I'm going to watch next. And one thought was Westworld. I know there's at least one season of that up. I don't know if they did a second season or not. I don't know if they're continuing with it or if it ended. But uh, I think maybe I'll, I'll switch over to Netflix and watch The Witcher. Because I did start that and I was enjoying it. And for some reason, I never finished it. So I need to get back to that. But those are my thoughts on Deadwood. I think I've said everything I wanted to say. It was a uh, very well put together show. It had me emotionally invested. There were moments in the show that that did have me, uh, you know, it's it's rare when I'm sitting in a room by myself watching a show and something happens that makes me say something to the TV out loud. And I had a couple of moments during this show when when I did that. And, uh, that, that means that I am emotionally invested in a show and that the show has hooked me. And, and, uh, I care about what's going on and the characters you're not supposed to like, I don't like. And when they do something that is hateful, I will sometimes say something out loud about how they're a son of a something or other, you know? And, and, uh, that's what this show did to me. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure there's all kinds of other stuff I would love to say about it, but, the, just none of them are springing to mind at this point. Um, if you've watched it, if you've seen the show and you want to tell me how you felt about the show, 
let me know. Find me, hit me up on Twitter, Stephen or else, or uh, send me an email, feedback at justanotherfanboy.com. Until then, folks, hey, if you want to support the show, come over and join my Patreon at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. It's a dollar a month. That's the minimum. You can pay up to $300,000 a month if you wanted to, but you're not going to get anything uh, that you're not going to get as a $1 a month subscriber. And that's uh, basically episodes of Just Another Fanboy. Typically, you're going to get those the day before everybody else. But the main, the main draw here, folks, is my other podcast that I do. It's just for the patrons, and it's called my other podcast because I'm just that clever. And that comes out once a week. I think the the last episode of my other podcast, I talked about the Black Widow movie. So, you know, I talk about stuff, the same kind of stuff I talk about here on Just Another Fanboy, but I'm not going to do an episode of Just Another Fanboy about the Black Widow because I've done it over on my other podcast. So if you want to hear my thoughts about that movie, that's where you got to go. Dollar a month. That's it. That's really not much in the grand scheme of things. $12 a year. If I could get like a thousand of you to pledge a dollar a month, then holy crap. Oh, the stuff I could do. The stuff I could do on this show for you guys. So get it, get join for a dollar a month and get a thousand or get 999 of your friends to also join at the same time. If you want to pledge $2 a month, then get, you know, 500 people to to come and pledge $2 a month because uh, that's the goal, folks. $1,000 a month. That's what I'm looking for. I ain't greedy. Okay, I'm a little greedy, but that's the goal. Patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or until then, folks, I'm Stephen. Until then, folks, that's all I got. My name is Stephen, and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job.